Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360, the podcast solving today's most pressing issues in the AI arthritis community. We invite you all to the table, where together we face the daily challenges of autoimmune and autoinflammatory arthritis. Every Sunday, join our fellow patient co-hosts as they lead discussions in the patient community, as well as consult with stakeholders worldwide to solve the problems that matter most. Whether you are a loved one, a professional working in the field, or a person diagnosed with an AI arthritis disease, this podcast is for you. So pull up a chair and take a seat at the table. to AI Arthritis Voices 360, the official talk show for the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis, or AI Arthritis for short. My name is Danielle Das. I am a patient living with, I'm not exactly sure what I'm living with, to be perfectly honest. I usually say rheumatoid arthritis and axial spondyloarthritis because that is my most recent concoction of diagnoses. But my rheumatology appointment just last week, in fact, my rheumatologist was like, you know, I think I'm going to get another opinion. I think we're going to redo all the imaging. I'm just not confident in this diagnosis. And I was like, great, that's exactly what I wanted for Christmas. So I know a lot of you can kind of empathize with that. So I'm going to say I'm a patient living with some kind of autoimmune arthritis, TBD. And also I'm one of your 2020 recurring co-hosts for the show. I am so excited to be here with you today to discuss a topic that is really close to my heart, and that is motherhood when you have an AI arthritis disease. I am the proud mom of three girls. My girls are six, eight, and 11 years old. And I think trying to raise young children when you have chronic pain and mobility restrictions is such an important topic for our community to address. This episode is actually a continuation of our earlier discussions on pregnancy with AI arthritis. That conversation was episode 11, and it's available on our website at AIarthritis.com backslash talk show if you would like to check that out. And one of our co-hosts from that episode is actually coming back today to join us, Mariah Leach, as well as her colleague Cheryl Crow. And both of these ladies presented a fascinating session at the American College of Rheumatology Conference on this very topic. Mariah and Cheryl, thanks for joining me. Will you tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves? Sure. Thanks for having me here today. My name's Mariah Leach, and I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when I was 25 years old. And since my diagnosis, I've had three children. Today, my boys are eight and six, and my daughter is two. And hopefully they're all downstairs doing their distance learning (laughs) unsupervised. I think any new mom struggles, but when I became a new mom, I also struggled with a really terrible RA flare. And it was an extremely isolating experience because I didn't have anyone to talk to or anywhere to get information on the questions I had that were specific to parenting with RA. And that's what led me to launch Mamas Facing Forward in 2015 as a private Facebook group. Today, that group includes more than 2,000 moms and moms-to-be living with chronic illnesses from all over the world. And in 2018, I also launched a sister website, mamasfacingforward.com where I try to collect and create resources that focus on pregnancy and parenting with chronic illness. Basically, my Mama's Facing Forward project is an attempt to create the resource I would have liked to have as a new mom. That's awesome. And Cheryl, how about you? Hi, everyone. Yeah, my name is Cheryl Crow, and I am a proud member of the Mama's Facing Forward Facebook group, which tragically I only discovered when my son was maybe six months old or later, but I wish I would have found it 
when I was, you know, planning pregnancy and, you know, going through the birth and postpartum process. But, you know, what I am somewhat known for, I guess, in the autoimmune and autoinflammatory arthritis world is I am both occupational therapist and a rheumatoid arthritis patient. And so, I have developed a lot of educational materials through my company, Arthritis Life, to try to help people navigate all the kind of basic activities of daily living, all those little things that are so difficult when you have little children that have to do with, you know, buttoning and snapping, but also the larger mental and cognitive challenges of just feeling overwhelmed and navigating your new roles. So I'm really, really happy to be here and I can't wait to talk more about this topic, like as everyone has already said, this much needed topic. Yeah, I'm so excited that we're doing this. My youngest child is six. So it's been a while since I had a newborn, but I didn't find anything like this. And I wasn't actually diagnosed. But at that point, I definitely knew that, you know, something was up and I was having trouble. And even when I would talk to my doctors, you know, there was a lot of focus on the physical. So I'm really glad that we're going to cover the emotional you know, kind of the mental shift today. Because I think whether you have an AI arthritis disease or not, even if you're perfectly healthy, that transition to motherhood can be a really rocky life moment for a lot of people. And I think we talk about it like it's going to be this great and beautiful thing and the clouds are going to part and rainbows are going to come down and everything's (laughs) going to be wonderful. And then you get there and you're like, what's wrong with me? Why is my experience not like the movies? And The truth is because like nobody's is. (laughs) So why are we hosting this conversation today? Well, the work we do at AI Arthritis is all about listening to people, listening to others like us who are living with these diseases. And as a result of these conversations, we learn what topics are most important to address. And then we talk about them together, patient to patient. And as a result of these initial conversations, we then invite more people who are living with our diseases to the table to continue the conversation. And then eventually we'll bring in other stakeholders who can help us create solutions. So that's the mission of our show and the mission of the organization. And that's how our episode today fits into our overall goal. So I know when we were getting ready to do this episode, we were talking about some of the issues that we wanted to cover. One of the biggest ones that came up was breastfeeding. Mariah, why do you think that breastfeeding is such an important topic for us to cover today? You know, I've been moderating the Mamas Facing Forward, the discussion in the group for five years now. And I would say that the postpartum topic that comes up the most often is breastfeeding, whether that's dealing with the choice of whether or not to breastfeed. And then for those who do choose to breastfeed, dealing with the physical challenges of breastfeeding while living with arthritis. And so I wanted to start by talking a little bit about the choice whether or not to breastfeed. This is a decision that should be a very personal decision. Like it's your body, it's your baby. But unfortunately, it often isn't or it doesn't feel that way. I think there's a lot of pressure on moms from society, from doctors, from family and friends for what is, you know, quote unquote, best for the baby. And whether or not to breastfeed is one of the topics that I think there's the most intense kind of pressure. I mean, I will say that I did breastfeed my first baby and I was completely unmedicated at the time and I was flaring very horribly. And I got to the point where I couldn't even lift him up anymore. And I made a difficult and heartbreaking decision to wean him and start feeding him formula. And 
I knew it was the right decision for me because I knew I needed to be more of a mom to him than just a food source. But still, I remember the first time I mixed a bottle of formula up in public with my baby. It felt like people were looking at me like I was giving him poison or something. And I, I'm sure it doesn't help that I live in a very uh, hippie sort of crunchy place in Boulder, Colorado. But um, but I felt <laughs> that would I not felt, help. I felt judged for a choice that I knew deep down was the right one for me and my baby. So before we get into talking a little bit more about breastfeeding and having Cheryl give us some of her OT magic on how to fix some problems related to breastfeeding, I just wanted to take a moment to recognize that breastfeeding isn't always the best choice for any new mom and particularly ones living with chronic illness. You know, in some cases there can be issues with medications and breastfeeding, although we'll discuss that a little bit more too. But there's lots of other reasons it might not work for you. You know, if you struggle with fatigue, breastfeeding makes it more difficult to get adequate rest because you're the only food source. So I just think that fed is best, not breast is best. Choosing not to breastfeed is a completely valid option for any mom, and moms shouldn't feel guilt for making that decision. I just I want to echo that personally from my own experience. I never even doubted that I was going to try to breastfeed because I am a type A person and it was best. Breast is best. Okay, you're going to dangle that best carrot in front of me. Of course, I'm going to want to do it. And I ended up having difficulties like many, many women. And it wasn't just from a difficulty with adequate milk supply, although that was part of it. It was also, as Mariah mentioned, like severe fatigue, postpartum flaring. And I felt like my life started revolving only around feeding. I was, you know, breastfeeding, I was pumping and then also feeding and I wasn't able to get enough sleep. So long story short, I ended up, my sister, who's a NICU nurse, directed me to, NICU stands for neonatal intensive care. So they see premature babies and babies with medical challenges. And she directed me to this nonprofit called the Fed is Best Foundation that was started by a physician. And it gives a great amount of data and support for whatever feeding choice you choose, whether it's formula 100%, whether it's donor milk, whether it's supplemental feeding system, whether it's breastfeeding 100%. And I found that to be a huge source of help. It actually has a lot of data too. And I I find myself, I'm as a participant in, in the Mamas Facing Forward group, I find myself commenting on a lot of those posts and supporting other moms. It's hard to tell someone not to feel guilty. Guilt is, you know, your own emotional journey, but to support them in saying, you know, breast is best in a vacuum, all other things being equal. It is a better nutrition source in a vacuum. But none of us with chronic illness live in a vacuum. No one, even without chronic illness, lives in a vacuum. So that's my little soapbox I wanted to tag along. (laughs) No, it is. And my experience was breastfeeding my first child was incredibly difficult. She wouldn't latch correctly. I never made enough milk. And in retrospect, I can tell you it's because chronic pain suppresses milk production. But nobody told me that at the time. I wasn't diagnosed, so I didn't have anything to point to when talking to my doctors. And I never made the decision to switch to formula. I stuck it out, so to speak. And I was miserable, and she was miserable, and I had no other babies to compare that experience to. I have since had a second and third baby, and I can tell you that it was the wrong decision to stay with it. I think that sometimes when we talk about breastfeeding, people tend to say, well, you were either successful or you weren't. And that's just the wrong way to look at it because I did nurse her until she was able to switch to other sources of nutrition, but we were never happy and it was never the right choice for us. And if I had that to do over again, I would have switched to formula. 
I think there's a pretty good segue to the next point talking about medications because I had, you know, similar pain problems, but that's partly because there weren't treatment options available at the time like there are today. So my first and third were very different experiences. I know, Mariah, when you and I were talking before, you said that there's a lot of changing data on whether or not it's safe to use medication while breastfeeding. So having established that fed is best and that every mother should make the decision that is best for her and her baby, if someone wants to breastfeed or they want to try breastfeeding, do you have any tips for them or any information that might be helpful to them in terms of using medication while breastfeeding? Yeah. The good news is that today there are many more breastfeeding-friendly treatment options available than there used to be. Even with like between my first baby, who is now eight, and my last baby, who's now two, the data changed drastically so that I had very different options the third time around. You know, we talked about how when I had my first baby, I like clawed my way through three months of breastfeeding and and I was unmedicated. I had I had nothing helping control my RA. And I was advised at the time to stop breastfeeding, to restart a treatment, right? And then the, the data on those biologic medications continued to improve. And later, I w- took that same medication while I was pregnant with my second baby. And then with my third baby, I stayed on a biologic through my entire pregnancy and through all of my breastfeeding. And I had no postpartum flare and a very successful breastfeeding experiences. So when it comes to medication and breastfeeding, what sticks out in my mind is something that I heard Dr. Megan Klaus say, and she is one of the leading experts in reproductive rheumatology. And a few years ago when she was presenting at the American College of Rheumatology annual meeting, she was giving a talk on drug safety as it pertained to breastfeeding on this very topic. And she unequivocally told the audience, the doctors in the audience, that women shouldn't need to choose between medication and breastfeeding anymore. So if breastfeeding is something that you are interested in doing or trying with your baby, please remember to look into all of your treatment options because there actually might be many options that are compatible. My favorite resource for moms who need to take medication while breastfeeding or while pregnant is Mother to Baby, which is the nation's leading authority and most trusted source of evidence-based information on the safety of medications during pregnancy and breastfeeding. You can go to their website if you have questions about medications and breastfeeding, and you can call them for free or chat with them for free. You can talk to a specialist who will give you the latest data on the medication that you're interested in. In fact, in the previous podcast that I was a co-host on, we spoke with Lynette Dreyer from Mother to Baby. So I encourage you to go back there to episode 11 and learn a little bit more about Mother to Baby. That is great. And that was a great episode, too. I loved listening to all the information that you guys had. Now, if someone has made this decision to breastfeed, they've spoken with their doctor, they've done their research, they've chosen their treatment option that is safe while breastfeeding, and they're still experiencing physical struggles. Cheryl, do you have some advice for them? Yeah. So first of all, know that there are people who specialize in helping you perform your activities of daily living, which as a new parent include feeding, clothing, taking care of your child. So you can always ask your doctor if you're just feeling really overwhelmed. You're like, I don't even want to learn this on my own. I want someone to help me. You can ask your doctor if a referral to occupational therapy would be appropriate for you. Physical therapy is another option. Occupational therapists are trained heavily in mental health and and what we call the biopsychosocial model. And so, of course, I'm not, I can't be completely unbiased because I am an occupational therapist, but 
I find in my mind that they are probably the best for postpartum moms who are struggling with the emotional side as well as the physical. If the more it's more straight up physical, of course, you know, you can go to a physical therapist as well. So um, can I just add in there that to me, I think OTs are a really great resource and it seems to me that they are a underutilized resource. So it might be an option for you that you might not be offered by your doctor unless you ask for it. Perfect, Mariah. Yeah, see, she's more objective. So take it from her. And actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because in our talk, Mariah's in my talk at American College of Rheumatology Conference, a couple of the doctors said when I was speaking about specific adaptive solutions, life hacks, gadgets, and strategies that might work for a postpartum mom, two different doctors commented during the speech, you know, this makes perfect sense. I just never thought of it before. And it's just, they have so much to think about. I'm not blaming the doctors. It's it's one of those examples where the patients might have to be more informed about all the different specialists that might be able to help them. You might get a lactation consultant who may or may not have any additional training and may or may not be unbiased with regards to your overall life and how feeding fits into that. So to go on to the specific strategies, I have written about this for my own blog and Mariah's blog, but one of the things to think about is for breastfeeding is first of all, your ergonomics. It's one thing to look at a little picture and a handout. If your doctor has given you one and you look online and you see, oh yes, I'm supposed to keep my neck at a perfect, perfectly straight upright neck and my shoulders relaxed. But that is very hard to do when you have a squirming infant or particularly as the baby gets older and starts having better head control, starts moving around a lot. So it is not just about the ergonomics of how you choose to hold the baby, but also your seating and positioning. So where are you seated when you breastfeed, or I guess you could stand. Some people are very advanced. I think Mariah has done this where you can feed while the baby's in a carrier, which is like next level. (laughs) And like while you like do the dishes and that's like parenting badge unlocked. But so you want to think about, I, I think from a psychosocial standpoint, when you're a new mom, you focus on the baby often at the expense of yourself. You know, if it's beautiful, gurgling, cooing baby in front of you, you're not thinking, I need to relax my shoulders and keep my neck at a 90 degree angle from my whatever, you know. So I recommend that you, this is might be hard depending on your context, but have someone in your life that's in the house with you. Maybe it's an older child or a spouse. Again, if this fits into your dynamic to even like be your accountability partner for your posture, because what ends up happening is that when breastfeeding or formula feeding, you know, or bottle feeding moms get into awkward positions and hold them for long periods of time, they're at risk. Over and over and over and over and over and over. And over, and over. <laughs> One might say it feels endless. <laughs> yeah, They're at higher risk of overuse injuries in the same way that, you know, people, it's repetitive stress injuries, just like somebody on a job might get them. It is a job. Taking care of a new baby is a job that does not come with an owner's manual. (laughs) So between 25 and 50% of new parents experience what's called dequervine tenosynovitis, or it's just called mommy thumb because it's so prevalent. That's the overall global statistic, not even specific to people with joint and musculoskeletal conditions. So it it is expected to be higher in this population. So I had it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. It's very, very common. And, you know, I, I, I feel conflicted because 
like I think health professionals, I kind of see things as both a professional and a patient, right? So as health professionals, we tend to focus so much on like, what's the patient supposed to do? Like, what should you do? But as a patient, I also recognize what's the real world? Like in the real world, I'm not going to look like a perfect statue and I'm going to be distracted and I'm going to be tired. So I think having people help you problem solve and maybe be your accountability partner to remind you to have those good quote unquote body mechanics and good ergonomics. There are some great handouts online that you can learn about that. And again, the ergonomics in terms of the shoulders and the wrists and elbows, those apply whether you're holding your baby to breastfeed or whether you're holding your baby to bottle feed. Another thing that I recommend people look at when they're considering bottle feeding would be to try out different kinds of bottles and nipples and choose one that's the easiest for you to twist on and twist off because you're going to be doing that twisting action a lot and that can further aggravate inflammation in your thumb. And you might also think about for breastfeeding or pumping. When I was pumping, I had a hands-free bra that allowed me to not have to hold on to the bottles during pumping. I think (laughs) that's essential. I don't even know how you would pump without one of those. I don't know either. (laughs) My wrist hurts just thinking about it. Yeah. And there's also, I bought, of course, a bunch of these breastfeeding clothing items before Charlie was born. And I ended up finding that they were way too awkward for me to try to finagle with my hands. And I just ended up wearing a robe and just opening up the robe. Here you go. You know, one step, not like unhook this hook and then pull down that hook. I don't know about you, Mariah. Did you do and and Danielle? I I had some success with some of the the feeding clothes that folded. Uh, The hooks can get a little twitchy, I think sometimes, but you know, robe is less approved when you're, you know, at the playground with your older children. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. I have an only child. So yeah, some of these things I had the luxury of being at, at home and not having to be out and about. I was a big fan of the camisoles that unhooked under just a regular t-shirt and I would pull up my t-shirt and unhook my camisole. And so then my belly was covered, you know, and I Mm -hmm. particularly by the time I got to my third child, I was doing a lot of nursing in public. So I found that to be kind of nice because it was inconspicuous, but I didn't have to use a blanket or anything like that. But I will say by the time I got to my third baby, and my breasts had grown larger and larger each time, I had gotten to the point where when she was really wanting to nurse and I was very full, I would sometimes pop the hook on the camisole and it would just sort of spring out. Like (laughs) I was like, oh, hello. (laughs) This is indecent. (laughs) (laughs) There was that one drawback. That's amazing. Is there anything I missed from your perspectives? The only other thing that I might add into there is a breastfeeding pillow can be really useful for positioning the baby comfortably and helping with that ergonomics you were talking about. Absolutely. Propping it up. You know, there's a couple different kinds out there. There's the boppy. There's the my breast friend, it's called. That one I liked because it like clipped to you and made this like little table. And I'd put another pillow under there and then that made it So I could almost get the baby in a position where I didn't have to hold him quite so much. So it wasn't quite so hard on my hands. So I mean, there are a lot of tools and clothing items and there's lots of things out there. And that can also be a little bit overwhelming because you think you need it all. But, you know, you have to kind of figure out what works for you and and what makes it easiest for you. And be creative. By the time I got to my third baby, I was using a heated massaging lumbar support that you put in your car. That's great. At the base of my back while I nurse, because I found that I would just slouch down 
<laughs> without that reminder. And so just because it doesn't say it's for breastfeeding doesn't necessarily mean it won't work. That's perfect. That brings up one last thing I forgot to say, in addition to the breastfeeding pillow, is alternate positions. So there's also side lying. So it's particularly for night feeds, you can lay, you know, next to your child and position them so where you're not having to hold them at all. Again, depending on their developmental level and how much motor control they have. And when they're when they're quite a bit older, you can also have them kind of hold themselves up. You don't necessarily need to be as hands-on. So, you know, know that there's there's not just one breastfeeding hold. We kind of have that typical vision of how someone holds their child at their chest for breastfeeding, but there's there's a foot called the football hold, which is on all on one side. There's all different kinds of ways of holding your child for feeding. So another thing that I would do sometimes when we switched to formula was we would have Charlie in a little chair and I could just hold the bottle and I would still be like bonding with him at that time, but I wouldn't necessarily need to be holding him if I needed like to give my body a little bit of a break. And then of course, eventually the child would hold their own bottle, which is great. We used to joke, Charlie would walk around like a when when they're toddlers, they kind of look drunk, you know, because they're just kind of getting their balance. So he'd walk around with his bottle in one hand and we wouldn't do that all the time, but it was it was pretty cute. I thought that when my kids learned to drink from a sippy cup was like the greatest day of my life. It was like freedom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I might add one more thing about the nursing positions, which is that if you try a position and it doesn't work for you, don't rule it out forever. Go back to it again someday and try it again. I never mastered sideline nursing with my first baby. I tried it a couple times and it didn't really work. And so I kind of gave up on it. But man, my third baby and I, we laid in bed a lot nursing and it was fantastic. Give yourself a chance to go back to them and see if not just you, but the baby has to learn how to do it too. So, you know, try out different things. And certain positions may be better at different developmental stages. Once they have more head control or yeah, they're larger true. or something like that, it might be easier. I loved football with a newborn, but I couldn't do football with an older kid. Oh, my God, <laughs> I would have broken my wrist. <laughs> no, really good points. Now, we've talked about a lot. And still, it's like a drop in the bucket of what motherhood is. So if our listeners want more information about topics that we touched on or maybe something we didn't get to, where can they go? I made a little bit of a social media faux pas when I first created all my accounts and they all have different handles. So I will give you <laughs> where to find me on social media in the comments. But my website is myarthritislife.net and I have lots of videos and tutorials on life hacks and also reflections on things like patient stories and health privilege, all sorts of things that just are interesting to me. And I have a podcast as well. And it's all kind of under this umbrella of arthritis life. I am also on TikTok for the youngins. That's just at arthritis life on there. And I do a lot of fun videos about different life hacks and education in a humorous way about arthritis, what autoimmune and autoinflammatory arthritis is and what it isn't. So that has been really, really fun. My main website is where you can find all the rest of the links, myarthritislife.net. Okay. And Mariah? So if you're interested in the private Facebook group, you can search for Mamas Facing Forward on Facebook and it should take you right there. You'll find that there's three screening questions. You're eligible for the group if you are either a mom or are considering becoming one someday. 
And if you personally live with a chronic illness, it does not have to be arthritis. I will say the majority of the people in the group are living with some form of arthritis because the group has grown through word of mouth. But we also have moms in there with IBD and with MS. And it's really interesting to learn from each other because we have a lot more in common than you might think. So Mom is Facing Forward on Facebook. We also have a lot of resources on mamasfacingforward.com. And we're on Instagram and Twitter at, at Mamas Forward. Okay, great. And I know there is, like I said, a lot that we haven't covered. And we have some topics that we discussed that we didn't even get to about medications and treatment plans. Would you ladies be interested in coming back maybe for some follow-up episodes? Sure. Absolutely. This is my this is my baby, this work, you know, and I like I'm done having babies. I'm not having any, any more postpartum periods. But if I can use what I've learned to help make it a better experience for the next mom who comes along, I am all for that. Yes, ditto. Absolutely. This is such an honor to be able to talk about this extremely important topic on this forum. So thank you so much for having us. And we would love to come back. Oh, that's great. I'm going to run this up to the powers that be and see if we can't turn it into a breakout series. We have some other breakout series on COVID and we have a breakout series on roomy rounds. And I think we need a breakout series for moms because it's just such an important topic. And on that note, we want you now, listeners, to join this conversation. If you're a patient living with an AI arthritis disease or if you're the parent of a juvenile patient, please join our new private and free online community called AI Arthritis Voices, where we will continue this conversation with Cheryl and Mariah and give all of your voices a chance to be heard. You will also have the opportunity to learn more about other sessions from the American College of Rheumatology Conference, where these ladies presented, and even attend some virtual conferences by joining a special Go With Us to Conference Spaces that lives inside that community. So if you're a person living with an AI arthritis disease or the parent of a juvenile patient, please join the three of us and others from around the world who want to continue this conversation with you by going to AIarthritisvoices.org or visit AIarthritis.org backslash AIarthritisvoices to learn more and find a sign-up link. And you can also submit comments or questions by visiting our social media pages. We are at IFAIarthritis on all social media platforms, or you can email us at podcast at AIarthritis.org. Mariah and Cheryl, thank you so much for joining me today to do this episode. I had a great time. I'll talk cloth diapers any day, anytime, anywhere. So even <laughs> just that was worth coming today. But the rest of the information was so cool. And I really had a great time sitting with you ladies today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you so Really much. enjoyed being here. Great. Thank you. And also thank you to our listeners. If you liked what you heard and you want to support the show, we could really use your help. We would love a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you personally patronize. That's the sort of help that only listeners like you can provide as we seek to grow our audience. This broadcast was brought to you by the International Foundation for AI Arthritis, an organization that relies on the support from our community to continue doing the work we do to improve the lives of the 450 million people worldwide affected by these diseases. If you'd like to support the show, please visit 
aiarthritis.org backslash talk show and give us a virtual high five or a double 10. Those are increments of money, just in case you don't know. (laughs) Every donation given on this link will go directly to support this show. Thank you so much for joining us. Please be part of the continued conversation at aiarthritisvoices.org or by sending us a message because only together with all of our voices counted, can we solve the problems that matter most to you. AI Arthritis Voices 360 is produced by the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis. Find us on the web at www.aiarthritis.org. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and stay up to date on all the latest AI arthritis news and events. 